0: Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. My name is Zach, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, you want directions, service times, all of that good stuff, you can visit our website, which is calvary316.tv. Uh, as a pastor, I also have a, a pastoral ministry. If you'd like to access any of our archive, you can visit c 316 TV as well. I do hope that you stay with me over the next hour or so as we seek to deconstruct the negative perceptions of Christians by doing something Christians aren't typically known for, and that is having bold and brash but honest discussions about today's relevant topics in an honest and in genuine way. A few weeks ago, we had Pastor Tony Clark on the show to talk about a topic most people absolutely, completely avoid, and that is the the topic of race, race in America. We had so much wonderful feedback about that particular episode of the show uh, that in a few minutes, we're going to have Pastor Tony back on to continue that discussion. Very, very cool stuff. And yet, before we get to that, one of the most important aspects of the show is our desire to connect with you, the listening audience. To do that, we need your help. Meaning, if you want to submit a question you'd like me to address, if you hear something on the show that you want to challenge or would like further discussion about, or you just want to submit a topic, you know, something that you want me uh, to set a show aside uh, to address in a unique way, nothing is off limits, there are several ways that you can reach out to us. First, email, our email address is info at outlawradio.org. If you're on Facebook, you can like us, follow us, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. Or if you're into Twitter, our Twitter handle is radio underscore outlaw. Uh, We mention this from time to time. Uh, Our website is outlawradio.org, outlawradio.org. And the reason I bring up the website Is because it's the easiest way to get to our podcasts. Uh, Every single episode of the Outlaw Radio Show uh, is podcast available. So whether you use iTunes or Google Play, it doesn't really matter. Uh, We're available on all platforms. And so you can go to the podcast. You can subscribe. And so if you catch a little bit of this on the radio, but you're not able to sit in the car and listen to all of it, you can go to the podcast. You can listen to this episode in its entirety. Or you can go back and listen to all of them. Uh, You can also share with your local community, your social media community, and uh, and pass the word. Well, with all that being said, I'd like to welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show, dear friend of mine, Pastor Tony Clark. Tony, how are you?
1: Good, good. um, I'm just thrilled to be here once again.
0: Well, listen. I want to just immediately dive into the subject matter, building off of the conversation that we had uh, in our previous interview, and I and I want to begin by having you dig into a distinction that you made that I found personally to be to be fascinating and very thought provoking, and that is that you made kind of a distinction between a church being ethnically diverse as opposed to being culturally diverse, and that sometimes. Um, we pursue one without the other, or we attain one without the other. And I just want to kind of open the floor here by by just asking you to elaborate a little bit more uh, by what you mean with that particular distinction.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, and a lot of people misunderstand and think because they are multicolored that they are multicultural. and And that's not the case. All because you have different... Colors of people that attend the church. It doesn't mean that you're multicultural. Um, you, you can do church a certain way, and you and whoever wants to come can come. But that doesn't mean you're multicultural. When you're multicultural, you're celebrating the various cultures that are there. For example, um, you know, right now the Hispanic community has overtaken the black community for the number one minority in America. So um are you um, bringing out the positive side of Cinco de Mayo? Cinco de Mayo has now just been a, a big party for people to get drunk. That's not... You know, if you look at the original, you know, meaning of it and, and why it came about, it has a different meaning. But by you just acknowledging that there is a Cinco de Mayo, uh, the Hispanics that are there will feel, oh, okay, he cares about us. Uh, for you acknowledging, uh, that there is a Black History Month and the reason why a Black History Month was needed, then the blacks will feel, oh, okay, he he cares about us so in being a multicultural church you have to be intentional about being multicultural and not just saying hey here's business as usual and and whatever culture wants to come you're welcome to come and sit in the chair no be intentional about um um uh, highlighting something that is important to that particular culture and it will really endear you to that particular culture. That's what I mean about being intentional about being multicultural, uh, opposed to being multicolored.
0: Can you be ethnically diverse but not culturally diverse? What does that look like?
1: Uh, if you're ethnically diverse, it just means that you know you are a church that has a variety of different ethnics, uh, ethnicities there. Um, and there are a lot of churches, especially today, that are starting to become that. Um, and um, one of the things that you, uh, every church can know, whether they can be multicultural or not, is by just going to your local Walmart. Walmart, uh, it, it it appeals to all cultures, races, and people. Everybody and their mother goes to Walmart and if you go to your Walmart and it is multicultural then your church should be able to reflect being multicultural as well and being in uh, about those particular cultures also um by having um some uh, uh a small group there are affinity groups like women's groups men's groups singles couples that sort of thing but having a small group uh, that is a multicultural, small group where you get there and biblically talk about and try to understand other races and cultures and try to understand it from a biblical perspective. That's another way about about being intentional about being multicultural.
0: let me Let me build on that. You know, like the church in China, they don't have an an, an ethnic diversity problem within the church because they're just chinese people uh in korea it, you know the korean church doesn't have a, an ethnicity issue because it's just predominantly koreans america it america is this unique thing in really world history because we are a country built on on immigrants like we are a, a melting pot as we say which makes this a particular struggle for the american church whereas It's not necessarily a struggle for the church at large. And I guess what I want you to try to speak to is I think we can all agree um, of the need for a church um, to be ethnically diverse, especially in the context that that community, that it reflects a a racially diverse community. But on the, and biblically, we can make that argument, you know, that we're one people, one nation, we're, we're, we're sanctified, you know, you can, there's a lot of examples, New Testament Acts that drive that home where do you find the biblical mandate for a church to be culturally diverse especially when it seems that the that we have a a new culture within within christianity like where are you building kind of that biblical mandate for a church to pursue cultural diversity
1: yeah you know one of the things is the bible says uh, thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know from the book of Revelation that uh, the kingdom of God is made up of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Therefore, if God's kingdom is to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then on earth we should see a semblance of a every tribe, tongue, people, and nation worshiping together which is reflecting what ultimately will be in heaven. It should be here on the earth as it will be in heaven. So the mandate is from the book of Revelation, as well as if we want the kingdom of God to be here on this earth as it will be in heaven, then one of the things that should reflect the kingdom of God is multiculturalism within the body of Christ.
0: You, you, you provided, I think, a few real practical examples as to how a church can do that. You know, acknowledging Black History Month, uh, discussing you know the the real roots of Cinco de Mayo. You know, just just even just being aware and cognitive of things happening within within different communities. I know in our previous interview you mentioned music, and I and I think that that's you know music really does reflect culture. Um, music doesn't drive it doesn't drive culture; it reflects culture. Yeah. And so, from a practical standpoint. How do you see music tying into a church uh, being culturally diverse?
1: I think it is number one on the list. Um, I, I because there's a sound associated with every culture, um, and when you uh, when you uh, begin to um, uh, provide a a sound uh, that uh, reflects a certain culture. That culture will feel
2: even more
1: at home. It doesn't have to be the the what drives the the genre of the church, the musical genre. But when you throw in some songs, like for instance, we may throw in a song that may have a uh, Caribbean, Jamaican, Caribbean, or the Virgin Island Caribbean kind of sound. Those who are at our church from the islands. You see them with a little extra smile on their face and they're bobbing their heads and they, because now we just touch them, uh, in a way that only music can. And so by throwing in sounds like that, or we may have a a more salsa merengue kind of sound, or we may sing a song in English and then all of a sudden the next time we come around that stanza we're doing it in Spanish. Now those who speak Spanish they they gotta they're singing with a little extra enthusiasm. So that's what I mean by being intentional about uh being uh multicultural uh as well as you know having minority, invisible position uh of the church um uh if you can afford it, pastors uh, or just ushers, greeters, parking mm. lots. Um, the part of the worship team or the choir, whatever it is that, that you have, when you put minorities in visible positions, it sends a huge message uh, to the um, people who are minorities that it is safe and it is okay to be here.
0: What advice would you give a white guy who feels called to plant a church in a community that is largely either African-American or, or just more minorities?
1: Yep. One of the things I will say is that if you go, uh, if, a, if a, a, a white person feels called to um, uh, go into a predominantly African-American community, I'm so glad those words are used. It is a calling. You must be called. Uh because the number one, um, you gotta go there and you gotta seek to understand the people. Understand if it, looking at the context is predominantly black. If you're looking at a predominantly black community, go there seeking to understand the black community, the black struggle, uh of what are the concerns of the people uh that are around you. And that must be a call because it's gonna take time because they need to see number one you don't look like them so they're already suspicious of you so it's going to take time and they got to see if they can trust you um and something else i thought about as well is that and this is huge this is why it must be a calling you have to go and live with them uh ezekiel 315 says that ezekiel sat where they sat and then that's how he was able to understand those who were in captivity, because he sat where they sat. You have to go and live among them. You can't live in suburbia, USA, and say you're going to pastor a, a predominantly black church in the inner city. They won't trust you. They they're going to say you don't you don't understand us. So hmm. sitting where they sit is huge because then you go to the corner market or to the local Walmart, you're seeing them inside the store. They're seeing you in there. And so you go to the Burger King or to the Papa John's, get a pizza. They see you in there shopping with them, and then their walls are going to come down, and they're going to feel comfortable with you. Then they're going to start seeing what you're really all about.
0: Could you compare and contrast the needs of the, the black urban minority community with those of white suburbia, like where, where the needs are similar, but, but also where they differ?
1: Well, you know, um, uh, number one, all people are the same. We, we, we need to be forgiven through the cross of Jesus Christ. We know that. And, but a lot of issues in the black community are, uh, they're twofold. Number one, there are lack of resources. And number two, there's a breakdown of the family. And so because of these issues, many of them are in survival mode, which means they're not saved, so they're in survival mode, which they, they're going to rob, steal, kill in order to survive or to cope with their environment or to support a drug habit because uh, they end up, uh, you know, some of them end up substance abuse and so they're gonna rob, steal, kill to survive, to support their drug habit. And it's just a lot of stuff to break down the family. So therefore the gang, the OGs, the old school gangsters become like a father that these kids never mm. had. And so therefore they readily join the gang because they don't want to be robbed or they don't want to be beat up. Therefore, their gang is this security form. It's this family form because the breakdown of the family in the black community is so bad now because it is well over 70% of children born in the black community are born out of wedlock. And, um, and, and then a lot of them are just struggling, don't know who dad is. And, and so these gangs become their family. Mama either is working a couple of jobs to try to survive or or she got a lot of issues going on in her life with substance abuse. No dad is around. So a lot of these kids are raising themselves, and it is just a mess. So those are just some common issues in the black community that needs to be dealt with. And then in, in, in white suburbia, you know, they may have the resources. And a lot of them, you know, their kids are, are on drugs as well. They're on the more expensive drugs. You got your heroin, your cocaine. They're on the more expensive because they, they, they don't have a lack of resource. They have resources. Mommy and daddy is normally there, got a nice job, living in a nice home, neighborhood. So the, the resources are there. So then these kids, they, they develop some different kind of issues because with their Drug problem, their expensive drug problem, that causes a breakdown of the family as well because now now this kid is, you know, they can uh, uh, afford to send them to some rehabilitation place, but these kids, are, they got issues too in school. Then these kids, most of them, um, no, I won't say most, a lot of them in suburbia, USA, the, their issues take them to going shooting up school shooting up movie houses, uh, 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 shooting up churches. You don't find a lot of that in the black communities. And a lot of these kids in the black community are not going to shoot up their schools and shooting up, the, they, those are their friends, their gang members, and they're not doing that. But you will find that in suburbia USA. So you you get these issues on both sides. And you know the solution, we know is the gospel. The gospel is that solution. But I'm telling you, both sides have their own unique issues that only the gospel can solve.
0: And so it's important if you're called to a community to get into the community and recognize that like you even have to set aside your own context to go in to understand the context of the people uh, that you're being called to reach. Now, you know my particular area where I live, and we've gone through a very radical um, uh, change as it pertains to just kind of the, the 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 percentages of minorities in our area, et cetera, and white flight, and you know a lot of that. Now, I, <clears throat> one of the questions that I wanted to ask was, you know, practically, what advice could you give, a, you know, a white church whose community has now completely changed, and they have a heart to reach that community? But I, I want to kind of ask the question almost in the inverse. In our interview, our previous interview, you had mentioned that Calvary Chapel Newport News when when it was started and for for many years was 90 like 98% white and yet over the last several years it's it's transitioned to now being predominantly african american um you, you mentioned in the previous interview some of the things that that happened uh that that brought about that particular uh shift uh but the question that i want to ask and i think this is an interesting question is as a black pastor pastoring a church that's predominantly african-american what are you doing to reach the white community around you
1: you know i i sat and thought about that and i said you know what this is this is a shift uh because you know for many years the first part of us we're going into our um, you know we've been here 24 years now uh the in our early years that was not a problem, because one of the things is this, is that Jesus said, if I if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. We know he, the context of that is lifting up in, as far as the cross. He would draw all men to him. Practically, when Jesus is lifted up and exalted in the teaching of the word of God, he draws all people to him, and that's one thing we saw as we just taught the word of God, it drew all races and, and colors and people from all over the world. So, what, but I had to look a little bit deeper. When we were majority uh, white, it, it was because we were in an area that was middle upper class white. There's an area here, uh, York County, that is middle upper class white, and for six plus years, that's where we were. Uh, because of who I am, the color of who I am, I, I draw like, draw, uh, you know, like draws like. And so I know black people will come because they see me. Right. But the way that the church was in the area we were in, it drew all, all, all kind of other people as well. So, but after six years, then we moved to, uh, Newport News where we are now, the neighborhood we were in, was more middle, lower class, kind of mixed, mostly predominantly black. Therefore, our church shift it shifted, and the people who were in the middle, upper class, white areas did not want to come over where we were now, middle, lower class, predominantly black, and they didn't come with us. Um, and we were only 6.6 miles away. Uh, but because we were in a different area, different clientele, so to speak, they didn't want to come. But within four months, our church doubled in size, and we didn't miss them. We was, Then months later, we were like, "Hey, whatever happened to so-and-so? And they <laughs> people said they didn't come over because they didn't want to come over, quote, unquote, on this side of town. So now what we're doing, now I have to be intentional about reaching the white community. uh, Which is something that I've never had to do before. So now we're putting, uh, like for instance, one of my assistant pastors who is white, um, times that I'm not here, I will have him teach for me. Um, um, We make sure that our worship team is um racially diverse, make sure that there are whites in visible positions, ushers, greeters, parking lot, uh, worship team, uh, teaching, uh, children's ministry. Our children's ministry uh, director is white. Uh, and so we're making sure that we are now intentional, something that it, it happened, if I can use today's word, organically
0: in mm. the past,
1: Uh, But now we have to be intentional now about reaching the white community.
0: I mentioned in our previous interview how a consequence of the civil rights movement was that the black church became more focused on maybe changing America as opposed to proclaiming a coming kingdom. And, And you totally agreed with that assertion but could you but could you just from your context because your context is much different than mine could you give a few practical examples of how you've seen that happen and maybe the warning that it provides uh, all churches today and we have about four minutes left in this segment and so I'll just kind of hand the floor to you there
1: okay uh you know yeah the the civil rights movement was a very um you know unfortunate time uh, in American history and instead of the you know, Instead of there being really the focus on the Great Commission, really it was the folk. it became a focus on the Great Comeback. How to deal with, how to come back against, you know, uh, the racism that was coming at you, where you're being called names and being called boy and getting dogs, you know, put on you and water holes squirted on you and, you know, the church talking about you know, heaven and all that kind of stuff. And they like, say, heaven, I want to know how to just live from day to day and how to deal with what's coming my way now. So it, it was, the church was the only place blacks could come to to get some kind of reassurance. And the pastors at that time was trying to reassure them, hey, you know, this is not our home. Heaven is going to be here. And then these people are leaving. And then right outside the church, you got Malcolm X people out there saying, "Hey, you know what? We can get back at the white man, and you know, you 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 were kings. Black people were the first people upon the earth, and you know, and it was trying to give people, black people, a sense of pride, because many of the whites at that time was calling them every name but a child of God." And so they were beat down constantly. And so right outside, inside the church, you got the focus, heaven, heaven, heaven. And outside, you got Malcolm X's or Elijah Muhammad's people saying, no, you know, you're a king right now. You can fight back and you can And it was trying to give black people a pride uh, back at that time. So the focus left from being, hey, let's preach the gospel to all nations to now, how can I just survive from day to day? So it, it, the focus really changed, and and we can talk about it on the next side on on how the focus has changed, even from the civil rights movement to today.
0: I think uh, those are profound words. Is there a warning for the church today?
1: Yeah, I think so because we we've lost the sense of 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 the Great Commission. and and reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now what you hear in the churches, now you hear a prosperity gospel, and now the focus is not going back on the Great Commission. Now it's on something different. Now we've made strides as black people. Now, because there's a lack of resources in the black community, now what we what can fix that is the prosperity gospel. You can to claim it. And now... This is how your needs are going to be met. And now it has now placed the focus once again on this earth instead of heaven.
0: In our previous interview, you made, I thought, a really shocking statement that from your perspective, race relations in America are the worst that you've seen them in the last 40 years. And it's, it's that that I want you to unpack and explain a little bit more about when we come back hear more on the Outlaw Radio Show
2: don't go anywhere zach will be back with the second half of this special edition of the outlaw radio show here's pastor zach and special guest tony clark as they talk about race in the church and culture in general here's zach and tony
0: welcome back to the outlaw radio show i'm joined by my dear friend tony clark and in our previous time together our last interview uh, Tony made a statement that race relations in America, from his perspective, are the worst that he's seen them in the last 40 years. And Tony, it's, it's kind of with that that I want you to just explain to our audience why, why you made that statement, why you believe that that's the case.
1: You, you, know, uh, you know, we can go back, and at least I can. I can go back uh, to the civil rights time and things that was going on back then. And we've made some tremendous strides, you know, since that particular time. Uh, there's still a lot room to, uh, 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 a lot more growing to do in this particular area. But now what has happened is, uh, uh, ever since, you know, we had the first black president and that just helped to stir things up in people's hearts. Uh, but not only, not only because of that, and the reason why I say it's as bad as it is, it has been in 40 years, it's because of social media and everyone now has a phone with a camera. So it's not just, hey, you know, a few people talking and and their voice uh, being heard by a few people. Now they're saying, if you don't believe me, watch this. And now it's being placed on social media for millions, if not billions, to see, and now it's not just talk from a few people. Now it's seen all over the place because now it's a matter of, okay, you're saying that race uh, race problems are like this here. Well, but here's a video to, sh- to prove that. And then someone else said, hey, I got a video of this. Then somebody else, I got one too. So it's like, okay, this is not just, a few people talking, this thing is all over the place. So, that's why race relations are as bad. It really came to a, a head, I would say, starting with, um, 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 you know, back in 1992, um, what's his name that got beat, beat up real bad, uh, King. Rodney King, Rodney, uh, Rodney King. That's kind of, you know, and a little, and what happened? How did we know about that? Someone had a video. Someone had a video and was videoing the entire Rodney King thing. So then all the police got put on alert. Then we, then America tried to help and tried to fix it by having cops come out, you know, and showing cops in a good light and how they're really trying to help to get the criminals. But then everyone has a phone now, and now all these incidents that keep happening where black people are being killed. Um, you know, uh it, it not just an isolated incident, but constantly people are popping up with video. So it, it's, it's sending a message that's saying, hey, we thought race was getting better, a race ain't no better. Matter of fact, it's getting worse, and I'm going to show you how, and here it is video after video after video after video. So now it has caused the clock to get turned back to the...
0: So, so would you say that it's social media that's the largest driver of race divisions in the country, or is it, or is it something deeper than that?
1: Well, I, I, I would say social media is used. It, it social media is like so, it, like what social media is. It can be a tool for good or for bad. Right. Uh, so, it it can be a tool to bring awareness to injustices that are taking place, or it can be a tool on the opposite end as well. So, I'm not going to blame it all on social media. Uh, social media is bringing some things to light because social media is also showing there are some good police officers, there are some good people. Uh not all white people are racist. And so it it it's it's used for uh, it's used in the hands of the person that's using it. If they want to use it to put this slant on it, it can be used for that. But what it is is that it is bringing awareness, awareness for good and awareness for evil.
0: There was a question that we didn't have time to get to in our previous interview, and I, and I want to make sure that I get this in. Um, so you you're you're a veteran. You were a Marine. Oh yes, yes, yes. Um, aside from that, obviously you're you're a black man. You're a Christian. You're a pastor. You have you have a very unique perspective and context. Uh, so let me ask. What is your perspective on the NFL National Anthem controversy and the kneeling during the National Anthem uh, to protest police brutality? You
1: know what I think, and I've seen a lot of social media footage uh, on people's, what they're saying, and I I shake my head. And the reason why I shake my head is because I think people – have totally missed the boat on this whole thing. Uh, the whole thing was the, the kneeling that, that, that Kaepernick was doing is to bring awareness to the police brutality, but also to the uh, racial overtone that's in the national anthem that no one knew about until it was brought to our attention. And so um, that was to bring awareness that, and, and, and this also moves me into the whole uh, Black Lives Matter and what it was originally intended for. Um, what it was originally intended, it was originally intended to show that, hey, here is video after video after video of black people being gunned down and killed and uh, white people being escorted very nicely Um, um, in in the police car, whereas black people are shot and killed. And the the whole matter was, doesn't black lives matter? Why is it that the white kid or the white guy gets escorted nicely to the car and the black person is getting shot in the back or being killed or wrestled down and choked to death? Don't our lives matter? That's what it was originally intended to, to, to give off. Now it's just blown out, out of proportion. So Colin um, nearly is saying, I'm nearly to bring some awareness to not only the police brutality, but to the racial overtones of, you know, of the um, uh, national anthem that people don't, that we don't even sing, but people don't know about that's in there, that there's, you know, the 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 blacks who sided you know, uh, with the other side and, and, you know, it's that kind of thing. So he was only kneeling just to bring attention to that. Not, he's not kneeling saying I, you know, this, you know, and veterans are like, I fought for this country and it has nothing to do with that. Absolutely nothing. I'm black. I'm a uh, former active duty Marine. Uh, and whenever cabinet, uh, he kneels, I don't feel any kind of way at all that he's disrespecting the flag or disrespecting the country. It has nothing because, see, I know the intentions of cabinet. It's not meant to be a slight on the uh, veterans who fought for this country. It has nothing to do with that. It is the racial overtones and the words of the national anthem and the police brutality. Where in there did I mention anything about the veterans who fought for the flag and fought for this country? Nothing has nothing to do with that.
0: Do you think that that was the smartest way to to communicate a protest? Do you think that there could have been a, a, a better way? I mean, that's been the argument, you know, against it is like, well, just leave the anthem alone. Um, now this has become a debate about the anthem, not about police brutality. Like,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it, it kind of hindsight is always twenty twenty. Could there have been a better way? I'm sure there could have. Um, you know, like for instance, um back in the day, see a lot of people don't know, um there was a basketball player, his name was Chris Jackson, he changed the mock mood.
0: Yeah. The NBA the NBA kicked him out immediately.
1: Exactly. And what happened is he was protesting uh uh the the national anthem. He sat down for the National Anthem. Then he started not to even come out until the National Anthem was done. At that time, they the, they they blackballed him and kicked him out of the NBA. Now, here's the thing. Uh, other Muslims and other folks, you know, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and other guys, saying, um, uh, Olajuwon, they were saying, dude,
0: it,
1: hey, you, you can't do it that way. There's another way uh, that that could have been done he felt that this was the way he knew how to protest. And of course he got blackballed um, from the NBA. Uh, so looking back now, Kevin uh, kneeling, and looking at how people have now interpreted his kneeling in a way that he never intended. Can we look at it now and say, could he have done it a different way? Yeah. Probably so.
0: Well, and then, and then, I mean, he also, he wore socks, you know, that had, Cops depicted his pigs and he wore the Fidel Castro T shirt at a press conference. I mean he did he didn't really articulate his message well.
1: Yeah, see, when you when you start doing that, then what what your what what your original intentions are now lost. Because right. people don't even hear that. Your real intentions now, you know, uh then, then right after that, you know, socks with pigs on it. Oh then, People start coming out. Blue Lives Matter. And all right. this. So, so now the message is, is lost now. And, um, looking back on it, could there have been a better way? Because, see, people don't realize there was, there was a white, uh, veteran who suggested to Kaepernick that That's, that's true. true. That's,
0: that's absolutely true. So, it,
1: it was, so we see what it was originally intended. And now we see where it is today. Oh, it's, it's lost now. It's gone. So now if I was, if I was Kaepernick, I wouldn't even milled cuz I would say the my real message is gone it's gone right right, right so I wouldn't so so but looking back on it you know could he have done it a different way uh maybe but I don't know uh what other way that could have garnished the attention he was seeking to bring to the issue I don't know what would have what would have brought a level of national attention? Uh, like back in 68, they held up the Black Glove, the fifth, and the Black Glove in the Olympics, uh, the 68 Olympics. Um, you know, they did that. Um, and Kaepernick Neal today, uh, I, I don't know. It, it, could he have done something better? I, I don't, if he could have, I don't know what could have been on that level. Right, uh, that could have brought the attention he was trying, the awareness he was trying to bring to the issue.
0: Let me let me pivot to a question that, as soon as I say it, I know our audience is gonna is going gonna, <laughs> gonna send a wave. But but why do so many in the black community believe that President Donald Trump is a racist?
1: Well, you know, and, and one of the things is because of the things he has said in the past before he was president, when he was just a businessman. Uh, you know, he was, he was, you know, he was a billionaire. So he was very cocky, very arrogant, uh, the way he would deal with women and the way he would deal with, uh, things that he would say, he didn't care. You know, I'm a billionaire. I can say what I want to say. Who's going to stop me? And so there's things he said in the past where we have people who said, I've heard him say this. And because we have social media, social <laughs> media has pulled up you know, film clippings of him saying all kind of crazy stuff. That's one. So Donald Trump as a white man plus Donald Trump as a republican republican equal to the black community racist. Hands down. Hands down. That's Donald Trump and his his body of work as a person plus his, re, his white skin and Republican party equals racist in, in a lot of black people's minds.
2: Immediately.
1: Racist. No matter what he... He's he changed. He's different. Racist. You're Republican. Racist.
0: Let me segue to the, to the next question that, that kind of dovetails off that. Research demonstrates that most within the, the black African-American community are, are socially conservative their positions on abortion, illegal immigration, gay marriage. Uh, African Americans tend to be socially conservative, but why then has the black community, and specifically the the black church, become so intertwined with the Democratic Party, whose platform on social issues is the exact opposite?
1: You know, to be honest with you, um, yeah, I, I question uh, whoever said that a lot of, in the black community are they hold conservative views. Many of them are just as liberal. They mm-hmm. believe in uh, pro-choice. They believe in all the opposite things. Matter of fact, they, everything that the Democratic Party has been, um, I would say, in recent years has held to, the black community holds to those things very true and dear. So I don't know where that, that statistic kind of came from or that, that kind of gathering of information. Uh, but the majority of them, they believe exactly what the uh, Democratic Party stands for. And, but see, a lot of people, you know, the, the old saying: if you don't know history, it, it has a way of repeating itself. So um historically, it was the Republican Party that was pro-black. Um, <laughs> right. You know, back during you know in the 1800s, and that it was the Republican Party that was all for uh, abolishing slavery and all that kind of stuff. Then as years went on, uh, there was a shift that took place, and uh, the Democratic Party, um, now people, black people vote Democrat immediately. It doesn't matter who the candidate is, you can be psychedelic. It doesn't matter what your color is. You can be from the moon, but if you represent (laughs) the the, the Democratic Party, we're going to vote for you automatically because – Republicans are traditionally, in the mind of black people, are white, conservative, Christian, equals racist. And therefore, you're against me as a black person. Therefore, I'm going to automatically vote um, uh, vote uh, Democrat.
0: Do you think the Democratic Party has, has effectively met the needs of the black community?
1: No, no. Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone talks a great talk. Everyone, every, every candidate, everyone talks about, and talks a great talk. Um, just like, um, you know, uh, just like, you know, President, uh, uh Obama. Talk, you know, talk the talk. And, um, he, he did more for the LGBT
0: community
1: than he did for the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, while in office. And so, and I, and, and people don't care. All they care about is that, And this is from what I
2: heard and what I
1: know. I'm not trying to throw any shade on President Obama. They, they, they liked him because he was black. He was cool. Uh, These are terms that I heard. He was cool. He was a cool black guy. And he had a, he had a black wife and, and he can get down and know about some of the black issues. But let me tell you something. He didn't help the black community, not one bit. Not one bit. He helped more the gay community than he did the black community. And so all because, you know, and these are, whether you are a pastor in the black community or no matter what you were, you were down for President Obama because he looked like you. And his skin uh, was the same color as your skin. And they were down for him. No matter if he, what the Bible has to say about issues, he was black, he was cool, he was one of us. Therefore, he's in the black community, he's the greatest president we ever had. When I look at that and say, you got to be kidding me.
0: <laughs> With the two minutes that we have left, I, I want to just kind of close the conversation by just asking, how do you believe that the church can lead in the process of racial reconciliation in America?
1: And, and it goes back to what I, something I mentioned earlier. I think that the, a lot of groups, a lot of churches, should I say, to start having conversations in their church, sitting across the table or across the room from someone who doesn't look like them. And let's start having these conversations and have someone leading these conversations that can constantly point the group back to a biblical perspective. Uh, and try to understand a black person. Try to understand a white person. Try to understand a Hispanic person or a Korean person or a Native American or, uh, someone from India. And try to understand why is it that they, they think the way they think. And try to understand their background and how in the black community we didn't have resources and, uh, and we, we talked the way we talked because we were not corrected on a lot of vernacular and a lot of English and a lot of things we, we just the way we talked to each other and we, we were not corrected because the teachers that taught us, you know, didn't correct us. And so, uh, we have, you know, these issues going on. So un- try to understand us instead of mocking us. Try to understand we didn't have the resources that the white suburbia had. We, we, we had to just do what we, Deal with what we had to deal with, and a lot of times, especially in today's time, a lot of time is spent on discipline in the classroom instead of teaching. So, right,
2: we, right. so we, we
1: we're hurting, and just trying to get the church to talk about these things and sit with someone who doesn't look like them and try to understand instead of being closed up in your all white, all black, all Hispanic churches.
0: Well, Tony, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about these things as candidly. Uh, as you have, I really appreciate it, brother. Thank you for coming on.
1: Oh, I'm I'm honored, and I just hope uh, that this helps some people uh, start some meaningful conversations uh, about these issues.
0: Amen. Thanks again, Tony. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. As always, my name is Zach Adams. I'm glad you've listened today, and I hope that today's discussion was encouraging, enlightening, maybe even challenging, but thought provoking nonetheless. If you do like what you heard, I encourage you to do two things. First, uh, please contact your local Christian radio station and tell them that you're thankful that they're carrying Outlaw Radio in your community. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to go visit our website, which is outlawradio.org. Again, that's outlawradio.org. From the site, you can easily access our podcast. It's available on iTunes as well as Google Play, uh, any platform Uh, You can listen again to this episode You can listen back to all previous episodes Very cool stuff You can also share with your social media community Your network Additionally, I encourage you Connect with me on Twitter At radio underscore outlaw You can send me an email At info at outlawradio.org Or you can follow us Via facebook.com Slash the radio outlaw Once again I'm Zach Adams And I hope you join me again this time next week for more of the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening
2: to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.